0: People said, please be seated. You know, probably as you've been watching the little intro there, you've been kind of thinking, well, that's kind of weird, right? With this tree and a goat and some other things. Well, um, I've been, uh, to be honest with you, I've been scratching my head this week as I've been studying Daniel chapter 8. I don't know if you've been reading along with us. Um, and what sort of thoughts and uh, things came to your mind this week as you read Daniel chapter 8? Uh, to be honest with you, I, I don't know a lot what Daniel chapter 8 means. Uh but but I I do know some things. <laughs> and uh, and we're going to talk about those today. Uh let me let me in in the book The World's Worst Predictions List. Um there are some of history's all-time prophetic goofs. Like King George the 2nd said in 1773 that the American colonies had little stomach for revolution. Praise the Lord that they had lots of stomach for it. An official of the White Star Line, does that sound familiar? Speaking of the firm's newly built flagship, the Titanic, launched in 1912, declared that the, sink, that the ship was unsinkable. And in 1939, the New York Times said the problem of TV was that people had to glue their eyes to a screen and that the average American wouldn't have time for it. Now we just carry them around with us, Right? How many people have you seen people walking around your town, staring at their phones, right? Anybody see anybody? Can you, I, I actually, I don't have them with me this morning, but I have statistics on Pokemon and, and how it just exploded overnight. Um, I will, I'll incorporate those into a sermon someday, but it's not today. That's not um, today. Thank you. Did somebody just say thank you? Wow. I got an article this week from, from a Christian magazine that said, how to leverage Pokemon for your church. Now, now, no, no, honestly, if you know anything about it, there are these major stops, right, that people have to go to to battle over whatever with their Pokemon characters. I actually know a little bit more than I'm letting on here. But uh, <laughs> a lot of those gyms, they're called, are at churches. And churches are jumping on the opportunity of inviting and, and, and engaging people that are just showing up in their parking lot to play Pokemon. They're flooding into their, to their parking lots playing this game. And so, anyway, just, a, just like we have bikers that drive by us every day, they have Pokemon players that are chasing characters in their church. And then there's this one. There's this one. An English astronomy professor said in the early 19th century that air travel at high speed would be impossible because passengers would suffocate. Um, wouldn't it be great to actually know the future? Wouldn't it be great to to know what's going to be, to, to, to what's going to happen? You know, next week, as a, uh, a man was driving in southern Indiana heading for Kentucky and he saw the sign, this sign that read last chance for a $1.55 gas. And he still had more than a quarter of a tank, but he figured he couldn't let such a deal pass him, him up. He had to stop and get this cheap tank of gas, so he filled up. And as he was getting changed back from the attendant, he asked, so how much is gas in Kentucky? And the guy said, oh, a buck and a quarter. Wouldn't it be nice to have known the future? Uh, you know, there are there there's movies called Back to the Future, right? In Back to the Future, two, um, Griff finds out that Marty's been traveling that, that he traveled into the future, and he finds this this almanac in the in the car, the DeLorean, that that was from the future, and and Griff takes this, and it, it's it's a sports almanac, and it tells him the scores of all of the games up into the future. So he starts betting on all of this stuff because he knows beforehand how the game's going to turn out. Wouldn't it be nice to have something like that if you have investments in the stock market, for instance? You would know when to sell and and when to buy. Um, Maybe, you know, when it comes to fantasy football, wouldn't it be great to know the future? Uh, When your running back's going to get hurt and when you need to know that you should not play him that particular day. A job search. A search for a spouse this used to be one for me all the time God, why don 't you just tell me who i 'm supposed to marry? it would just It would be so much cheaper and and easier you know I could just wait for that. You could just tell me when and who right, kids, have you ever thought that it would be so much easier, but you know there it, the knowing the future isn't all that it 's cracked up to be i don 't think because as I think about. If, if I knew, if God said, okay, David, or, or say Timothy, Timothy, you're going to marry so-and-so. Her name is this. You're going to meet her at this place, and, and you're, you should ask her to marry you on this date. Wouldn't that be great? That would be nice to know, wouldn't it? You could just take a deep breath. You wouldn't have to look at another girl until that time. You know, you wouldn't have to see if anybody else is interested. But I, as human beings, my guess would be that even with that information, and we knew, we would find reasons why that couldn't be her right? Or it couldn't be him. I mean, they don't even like me or they don't whatever. I mean, if we knew exactly the future, I think we would mess it up somehow. I, honestly, I, I just really believe that. We would, as human beings, we would figure out a way to mess it up. And, and we just sang two songs and I hope you sung them wholeheartedly and you believe everything that you just sang. But God knows exactly what he's doing. He's sovereign He's our creator. He's above all. He's all powerful. He's all good. And he knows exactly what he's doing when it comes to prophetic proclamations of the future as well. First of all, uh, he knows exactly what's going to happen in vivid detail. God knows it all. I mean, in fact, I I picture God above time and and the, the timeline of of humanity and history is right there before him, and he sees it all. Every last minute of it, from the past to the future. He knows exactly what's going to happen. Um, and, and God will do what God wants to do. And, and we need to resign ourselves to that. And, and we need to be okay. And that's great. But, but what if that doesn't really line up with what I want? Right? I mean, what if I have different plans? And 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 what God is trying to, to get me to do or trying to move me in a certain direction, what if I want to do something different? If I knew that God was going to have me do this, maybe I would find reasons to say, oh, no, God really, he must not care about me because he doesn't want me to have what I want, or, or, or something to that effect. And then secondly, I think, and, and this is especially true of the passage that we're going to look at today, He only gives us general details of his plan. We're we're seeing in big, broad brushstrokes today in Daniel chapter 8 a prophetic message from Daniel, one that even Daniel himself wrestled a great deal with. Uh, But God knows how we operate. God knows if he said that the world was going to end on such and such a date, that we would I don't know, you know, you always, hear, you always hear people say, well, you know, I'm just going to have fun when I'm in college, and, and then I'll get serious about my relationship with God after I graduate, right? I'm just going to go do my own thing, and then, well, what if you don't have four years? And, and if we knew the time and day, which we don't, Bible says nobody knows, if we knew the time and day, we would abuse it, I think. And God doesn't give us that. As I've been studying and looking at Daniel chapter 8, it's been this preacher's nightmare and many, many, many other preacher's nightmares as well. In fact, um, doing a Google search for sermons on Daniel chapter 8, there isn't a lot of them because they just skip it. It's it's hard to understand. and, And I would say impossible to completely understand. Um, Even noted scholars hesitate to proclaim confidence in their interpretation of of Daniel chapter 8. Daniel himself, we will see at the end of Daniel chapter 8, honestly doesn't have the foggiest idea of the vision's true meaning. Even after the angel Gabriel has interpreted the vision for him. Isn't, Isn't that... Think about that. What have we been learning about Daniel up to this point? He can not only interpret dreams through the power of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, he can tell them what they're dreaming and what they dreamt. And here we now we have Daniel who, who is troubled and, and, and confused by this dream that he had. So I've wrestled with it this week. What, what, how can we apply Daniel chapter 8 to today? To your life and to mine? To your marriage? To your growing up in your school? Uh, to your relationships, to your, to your workplace? Well, let's just see. Um, l- turn to Daniel chapter 8 if you haven't already. Many of you are there already. Look at verse 27. This, this is kind of the conclusion that Daniel comes to. I, Daniel, was worn out. I lay exhausted for several days. Then I got up and went about the king's business. I was appalled by the vision. It was beyond understanding. I think truly when we come into uh, the presence of God, oftentimes that is our response. Maybe not the appalled, but this is so great and this is so amazing and our God is so sovereign and how could I not have trusted him yesterday when I was discouraged and when, when Saint was using that tool. I don't know how many conversations I've had with people this past week about last Sunday's sermon and, and, and about how how that... Little tool of discouragement is so powerful in our life during the course of a week. So, when a divinely gifted interpreter of dreams and visions can't understand it, how could we even begin to say, This is what it is? This is what it means? How can I write or stand or sit this morning before a congregation and say, I simply do not understand the text on which I'm speaking? And honestly I, I, I'm saying that uh, although there are things that we do know, and uh, there are things that I've learned and that God's taught me this week and And let's remember what Paul said about God's Word in Second Timothy chapter three verses sixteen and seventeen. Timothy said this or Paul said this, "All scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting." And training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So there's something in today's passage for us that will help to thoroughly equip us for the work, for God's good work. So I want to start this morning by looking at number one. I didn't get you a note sheet this morning. Um, number one is is past and future. I want to talk about things past and future, and and let's just read this passage really quick. I may skip over certain parts, but in the third year of King Belshazzar's reign, I, Daniel, had a vision after the one that had already appeared to me. So he had the vision in chapter 7, and then now he has this one in chapter 8. And again, remember, this is before chapter 6, which was the handwriting on the wall, which was the end of Belshazzar's um, rule as king. In my vision, I saw myself in the citadel of Susa in the province of Elam. In the vision, I was beside the Ulai Canal. I looked up, and there before me was a ram with two horns standing beside the canal, and the horns were long. One of the horns was longer than the other, but grew up later. I watched the ram as it charged toward the west and the north and the south. No animal could stand against it, and and none could rescue from its power. It did as it pleased and became great. As I was thinking about this, suddenly a goat... "'with a prominent horn between its eyes, "'came from the west, "'crossing the whole earth without touching the ground. "'It came toward the two-horned ram "'I had seen standing beside the canal "'and charged at it in great rage. "'I saw it attack the ram furiously, "'striking the ram and shattering its two horns. "'The ram was powerless to stand against it. "'The goat knocked it to the ground and trampled on it, "'and none could rescue the ram from its power. "'The goat became very great.' But at the height of its power, the large horn was broken off, and in its place, four prominent horns grew up toward the four winds of heaven. Out of one of them came another horn, which started small but grew in power to the south and to the east and toward the beautiful land. It grew until it reached the host of the heavens, and it threw some of the starry host down on the earth and trampled on them. It set itself up to be as great as the commander of the army of the Lord. It took away the daily sacrifice from the Lord, and his sanctuary was thrown down. Because of rebellion, the Lord's people and the daily sacrifice were given over to it. It prospered in everything it did, and truth was thrown to the ground. Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to him, How long will it take for the vision to be fulfilled? The vision concerning the daily sacrifice the rebellion that causes desolation, the surrender of the sanctuary and the trampling underfoot of the Lord's people. He said to me, it will take 2300 evenings and mornings. Then the sanctuary will be reconsecrated. While I, Daniel, was watching the vision and trying to understand it, there before me stood one who looked like a man. And I heard a man's voice from the Uli calling, Gabriel, tell this man the meaning of the vision. As he came near the place where I was standing, I was terrified and fell prostrate. Son of man, he said to me, understand that the vision concerns the time of the end. While he was speaking to me, I was in a deep sleep with my face to the ground. Then he touched me and raised me to my feet. He said, I'm, <coughs> Excuse me. I'm going to tell you what will happen later in the time of wrath because the vision concerns the appointed time of the end. The two-horned ram that you saw represents the kings of Media and persia the shaggy goat is the king of greece and the large horn between its eyes is the first king the four horns that replace the one that was broken off represent four kingdoms that will emerge from this nation but will not have the same power in the latter part of their reign when rebels have become completely wicked a fierce-looking king a master of intrigue will arise He will become very strong, but not by his own power. He will cause astounding devastation and will succeed in whatever he does. He will destroy those who are mighty, the holy people. He will cause deceit to prosper, and he will consider himself superior. When they feel secure, he will destroy many and take his stand against the prince of princes. Yet he will be destroyed, but not by human power. The vision of the evenings and mornings that has been given to you is true. But seal up the vision, for it concerns the distant future. I, Daniel, was worn out. I lay exhausted for several days. Then I got up and went about the king's business. I was appalled by the vision. It was beyond understanding. So what do we know for sure? What do we know for sure? Well, first of all, we know that the ram uh, is identified as representing the kings of medo Persia. That's verse 20. And it has two horns. The first horn would be Media, and the second would be Persia, which comes later than the first and is more powerful. Uh, The the Medias and the the Persians move in when Belshazzar's life is over. The the time of Babylon ends, and then becomes a new time of civilization. Uh, The directions in which these kings extend their dominion is revealed in verse 4. Uh, They're going to move to the west, to the north, and to the south. And this is and has been confirmed by history. That's exactly what happened. The ram had its day in the sun, and there was a time when it could do as it wished, when no one could be rescued by its power. They could take over whoever they wanted and control them. Then when the the Medo-Persian kingdom had served its purpose, It was overcome by Greece. Greece is represented in Daniel's vision by the male goat, as as you look at verse 21 there. This goat had only one horn rather than two, and it is generally agreed by all scholars that that the king, that the leader that represented that single horn was Alexander the Great. So God is proclaiming to Daniel what's going to happen in the future, hundreds and hundreds of years from when Daniel was alive. Now, Alexander the Great was born in July of 356 B.C. He lived 33 years and died in June of 323 B.C. He was born in Pella, which is in Greece, and he died in Babylon, which is Iraq today. Now, coming from the West with a vengeance... He attacked the ram, striking a death blow to this kingdom, which had been instrumental in the return of the Jews to their land and in the rebuilding of the temple. Now, get this time frame in your head. We've got Daniel and his prophecies and these kings. Then we have the, then we have, so we had Babylon and then we have the Persians. And the Persians, it's under the reign of the Persians that Ezra and Nehemiah live. And Nehemiah, and in fact, the reestablishment of Jerusalem, the rebuilding of the wall, and the rebuilding of the temple occurs in this time frame. And then, and then we have Alexander the Great, who was dominant. um, Completely and totally dominant over everything. In fact, many would say that he became too powerful too quick. And that's what kind of got his kingdom in trouble. And there was a, an early demise. He, the horn was broken, although it took a number of years. And eventually, four kings rise to the control of this empire. Now, I'm not a history buff, and I don't know a lot about that. Um, this, I got from a commentary, so I'm just I see heads shaking in agreement, so I know there are some history buffs out there that, that know all of this. And then we have this conflict between the little horn and God at this point in history. This stuff is really happening. And in verse 10, the little horn achieves things which are more than human. More than human. He grows up, he, he grows up to the host of heaven. Causing some of the hosts and some of the stars to fall to earth where he tramples them, verse 10. And like the ram and the goat before him, he magnifies himself. And we know and and we've seen that that's not a good thing for a king to do, to magnify himself. It's not a good thing for us to do. And while others magnify themselves above men, this horn magnifies himself to be equal with the commander of the host. He removes the regular sacrifice from him and he throws down the place of his sanctuary. The king thinks himself equal with God, going as far as directly opposing God. Now, as we look on, the little horn seems to change right before our eyes from a mortal man to an incarnation of Satan himself. And then the focus seems to shift from the Israelites and Israel and Jerusalem and the temple to the host of heaven and the stars of the sky. And, and then I, I want to show you Revelation chapter 12, verses four, verse 4 which says this, Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. This prophecy suggests that there's so much in chapter 8 that we don't know and we don't understand, but it is talking about the big picture of, of humanity. It's talking about something that is going to occur in the coming centuries. And it's, it's talking about something that's going to kind of occur in the very end. And you might think to yourself, well how can, how can that be? How can God prophesy something that actually happens in history. But then it's going to happen somehow different in a different way at the end of history. Well, God works that way, doesn't he? We see it over and over and over and over again in the Old Testament. Um, the Israelites were dying because of viper bites, and what did God tell Moses to do? He said, Moses, put, put a snake on a stick and stand it in the middle and have the people look upon the snake and they'll be healed. Now, what on earth? What to... Now that we know that Christ was put on a stake and that when we look to him we are healed we are forgiven god did something then that had significant meaning for another day he's doing the same exact thing in daniel chapter 8 but when it comes to the end i don't we don't we're not giving the we're not given those details here how it's going to happen just the fact that it's going to and I'm not saying that it's not, and, and maybe somebody heard me say this last week, I'm not saying it's not important to study and work and try and understand this and come up in your mind with how you, what you, the way that you think the Bible says that it's going to end. But what I want you to do is leave enough open space in, there, in that thinking for you to possibly be wrong about some details. Because in the end, we don't know what and how it's going to happen. What we do need to know here today and what applies to us and our life and the lives of all of our friends is we better be ready today for the end. Because the end might come with us taking our last breath, not necessarily with Jesus returning. It could be. Wouldn't that be wonderful? It would be wonderful if he just came this afternoon while I was taking my nap in front of the golf tournament. I mean, really, be, it would just be over. We would all be together. I mean, to be in the presence of the Lord, that would be so good. But we don't know when that's going to happen. You know, honestly, if Jesus doesn't come, it could still happen while I'm taking my nap, watching the golf tournament. My heart could stop beating and it would be over. Are you ready? Are you ready for that to happen? That's the end that we need to be concerned about. Now, there are signs of times and and we need to be studying those and thinking about those. But I think sometimes we get so wrapped up in the trees that we miss the forest. Um, Now, let me try and find my place. Uh, The the four horns arising after the breaking off of the goat's one horn are are four kings whose resulting kingdoms never approach the power and dominion of the first. They're they're smaller. Later in the reign of these kings, the little horn does emerge from one of the four kings. From a merely human perspective, he arises because of his power and his greatness. But, But the word says that it didn't happen on his own power. God made this king great, which we've seen him do with Babylon and Persia and the Medes. God is, is working through this. I think verses 24 and 25, look at them right there uh, in Daniel chapter 8. 24 and 25. He will become very strong, but not by his own power. He will cause astounding devastation and will succeed in whatever he does. He will destroy those who are mighty, the holy people. He will cause deceit to prosper And he will consider himself superior when they feel secure. He will destroy many and take his stand against the prince of princes. I think that is the Antichrist. That is the Antichrist that's spoken of in the book of Revelation. Who will rise to power and will unite all nations. And when that occurs, if it's in our lifetime, it's going to be tough. You think, I mean, I, there, are, there are conversations I have with people right now. It's like, man, we have got to be in the end times. Because there is more going on that the Bible talks about, and, and maybe we are. Maybe it will get worse. And, and if it does get worse, what are we going to do about it? How are we going to prepare for that? Spiritually, we need to be prepared for that. Who was the fourth figure in the fiery furnace? I think it was Jesus. I think it was Jesus himself before becoming incarnate in earth. Again, one of those situations, and I'm going to talk just a little bit briefly at the end of the sermon about, about that situation. So, has this, this future that Daniel is talking about, is it in Daniel's future and our past? Yes. Is it in our future and Daniel's future? Yes. Yes. I think it's both. And I'm not exactly sure how it will all work out. But I do know this. God is sovereign. Jesus came as the Messiah. He died and rose. And we put our faith and trust in him. And it doesn't matter. I know there are some of you and maybe I should show that video of Andy Stanley again who are just fretting about what's going to happen in our country politically. And, and, and I want to encourage you, don't fret, pray. Don't fret, pray. You know, if, 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 if you're tired of seeing all the negativity on Facebook, delete it. Don't go there. You know, um, if you don't like seeing all the bad news on TV, turn it off. Pray. Pray pray i i hope that that many of us will show up in cheyenne on the 12th i i that excites me uh, to pray for our nation because who knows what god's doing you know is god going to bring a a new president who's going to get new leadership and who's going to restore what we would say is a good country or 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 is it not going to be that way Is it going to be a a, a president who God is putting there to tear down some stuff in our country? To be honest with you, that scares me. I don't want that. But if that's what God wants, what I do want is the faith to live in the midst of it. And if that's where God wants us, then, you know, that's where we need to be. And we don't need to be afraid. We don't need to be afraid. Stop scaring the children. That was Andy Stanley's statement. Uh, so, so now, I, you know, we have ten minutes left. I, I want to just give a couple things about the so what. I, I just gave one major one. Living today, like today is our last. The Apostle Paul reminds us that even when we look back on fulfilled prophecy... It is still to one degree or another unfathomable. God is so incredibly big. You know, He, he works things out. And, and, I, and, and maybe, maybe we just need to sit back and just be amazed and just worship. And surrender. Uh, Romans. In Romans chapter nine, in chapters 9 through 11. 9, and 11. Paul explains how the salvation of both Jews and Gentiles was a part of God's plan. You know, God did choose to bless the, the Gentiles through the seed of Abraham. And the seed of Abraham was Jesus Christ. And the Jews rejected him. And, and, that, and there was purpose in that. It was so God could save all people. Blessings did come through the Jews, but honestly, in a, in a backhanded manner. The, the Gentiles received the gospel because the Jews rejected him. The Jews... God chose to bless all people. The Gentiles. That's us. Most of us. I don't have any close Jewish friends, I, I, but... There might be somebody in the room today that has Jewish heritage. But at the end of Paul's explanation of the working out of the eternal plan and purpose of God, Paul looks back on the wisdom of God and he finds it beyond comprehension. This is Paul. Uh, Look at Romans chapter 11, verses 30 through 33. I think it probably says 30 through 36, but it's only through 33. For just as you once were disobedient to God, but now have been shown mercy because of their disobedience, so these also now have been disobedient in order that because of the mercy shown to you, they also may now be shown mercy. For God has shut up all in disobedience that he might show mercy to all. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. I mean... Paul is just like, this is amazing stuff. And I don't even get it. Paul doesn't even get the grace of God. Why would God even do that? And if God's wisdom is such that we can't fully grasp his infinite wisdom in retrospect, how could we ever expect to understand God's plan and purpose when it comes to these prophecies for sure in the future? Daniel didn't understand the prophecy contained in the vision even after it was explained. So if there are things in Scripture that you don't understand, I think you need to trust God that that's okay. Because honestly, um, when we completely understand something, imagine back to that Christmas Eve when your husband has the thousand piece bicycle laying before him and the instructions in that moment in time that bicycle owns him it's bigger than him it's greater than him but at the end when he gets every piece put together he has conquered it at least that's how I would feel I would think I own you now you're mine in fact I would say that as I sat down I wouldn't even read the instructions I would just put it together and then I would take it back apart and I would read the instructions and put it together right. <laughs> but, but see, if, if we truly had a handle on everything about God, that kind of gives us, I think, the sense of having a little bit of control and we have none. It's okay when we read a passage like Daniel chapter 8 and we look at it and we say, you know what, this is great, this is amazing. I don't understand it and that's Okay. But God always teaches us something out of it and I trust and I hope that he's taught us something today. God's purpose in revealing the vision to Daniel was not to enable Daniel to understand the future before it happened. Nor is it his purpose for reeling, revealing this vision to us. In fact, prophecy has never been fully understood in advance and it will never be so. I mean, it, case in point, how did... how? How on earth could the Jews miss Jesus? They had the prophecy. They had the prophecy. It seems clear to us as we look in the past. It can be more difficult in the present. God revealed this prophecy not so that we might understand completely his plan or be able to recognize every event as it occurs and say, oh, there's one, check. There's one, check. There's one, check. Oh, we're almost there, check well, maybe it was a bigger degree of this one, so maybe I need to erase this check and wait till it's bigger. We can get involved in that. You no, know, God reveals prophecy to us so he can assure us that he has a plan and that he's working it out. Right? Right? Even if we don't agree with his plan, even when life seems difficult and the closer to Christ's return we get, it's going to be harder. We need to be ready. We need to be prepared. Daniel 8 tells us that before the coming of the end, there will be a time when an evil king will rise who will resist God, persecute his saints, and even appear to succeed. We need to remember that. There is an appearance of success, not actual success. Don't let anybody convince you that you've lost because we haven't. Jesus has won the battle. Our text tells us clearly that the success of this evil horn is by divine permission and that in the end, God will destroy wickedness. And we don't need to know any more than that, honestly. God is in control of the future. Many of you may be suffering this very moment in life, each in our own different way. Um, And I ask, do you understand exactly what the future holds for you? Do you know what tomorrow will bring? Do you know what next week will bring? Do you know what next month will bring? Who among us knows precisely what God is doing or why? I mean, generally that comes after for me. It's like, oh, I see what God was doing then. I hated it, but I see what God was doing then. Like Job, we're called to suffer without God's explanation. We do not need to know what will happen tomorrow. We do not need to know the reasons for what, for what God is doing in our lives at the moment. All we need to know that he is our God and he is in control. This is the essence of chapter eight. We know our future is in God's hands and that suffering must precede glory and knowing this is enough. If we know him, if we know him, if we've surrendered our life to Jesus Christ, we're ready. We're ready. Do you know him? And if not, wouldn't you believe today that Jesus died for your sins? He paid the price. The debt has been paid. If you would just believe I had a conversation with a friend this week and uh, I spent a few days in a combine going really, 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 really slow in an irrigated field and uh, I had lots of time to pray for many of you this week. And and as somebody specific would come to mind, I'd send him a text message and I sent this one person a text message and he had told me a month ago that they, his family was looking at buying a house and it was the perfect house but he wanted to trust the Lord and I said, hey, how's progress with the house? And he said, well, interesting that you would ask me that today. (laughs) And uh, they say you shouldn't text and drive, but at one mile an hour, you know, in a field. (laughs) Uh, He said, no progress on the house. In fact, he said, I lost my job. And uh, he said, I've gotten on with somebody else, but, but there's a month's where I'm not going to have a paycheck and I've been a bad steward I've made good money been poor stewards and we're just going to have to suck it up to make it through a month without a paycheck and he said and I've been I've been listening to the internet and I've been pretty discouraged he said I feel like a failure as a dad I feel like a failure as a provider for my family and of course what's going through my mind Daniel chapter 7 <laughs> And he said, I had some well-meaning Christian friends who told me that, that God won't let you go through anything that you can't handle. And he said, when they told me that, I nodded my head in agreement, but he said, I don't think that's true. He said, I don't think that's true. What do you think? And I said, I said, I think, I think 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 is one of the most often misquoted verses on the planet. Because that's the verse people use to say that thing. That God won't allow you to go through anything that you can't handle. I think that's false. And this is why. Look at this verse. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. He's not talking about all things. He's talking about temptation. We can always say no to temptation. Always. Always. He will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we could bear. Now, I believe that we can do all things in Christ, and it's by the power of God that we can do things that maybe we wouldn't normally be able to bear. Okay? So, hold on to that. But as you think about things that you've gone through, and you've thought about times when you're just like, man, I don't think I can bear under this. It's probably true. A couple biblical examples of this. From Daniel, the book of Daniel. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego get tossed in a fiery furnace. Is that something beyond what they could bear? You bet it is. You bet it was. On their own. But it was by the power of God that they were saved from that. Right? Daniel gets thrown into a den of lions. Did he close the mouths on those lions? He should have been eaten alive. Nothing. He was powerless. That was more than he could bear himself. Whatever it is that you're going through and you think that it's unbearable, the the only place that you can turn, because it might be unbearable in your strength, the only place you can turn is to our sovereign God. He can do the impossible. He can give you strength to bear under what might normally be unbearable. So, the next time you think about that verse and that statement, it's all in reference to the sovereignty and the power of God, not our ability to bear up under something. Difficult things are happening. Who are you going to turn to? Who are you going to turn to? May it be Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Believe, trust to the very end, no matter what that looks like. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for loving us for forgiving us for being slow to anger but Lord we know that there's been times where in the history of Israel and other nations there was a time where your patience ran out and there was discipline and Father I pray for these families that are represented here today and who are listening online. And Father, I pray that their faith, that their strength to get through every day comes from you. And Father, I know Satan intends to discourage and depress and weaken us, but Father, I pray that all of us would turn to you, that we would be strong in the Lord. that when we are weak, that's when we would be strong. Lord, I want to pray healing for, for the minds and the souls of those who are here today. And Father, as we, as we give of our tithes and our offerings, I pray that we would give faithfully as we have agreed with you to give. Father, as an act of worship, proclaiming that we're really returning back some of what you've loaned us. (laughs) And Father, uh, as we sing this last song, may our words be true as we sing them. May the thoughts of our mind be thoughts of faith. Oh, Father, thank you for all who have gathered here today and we lift our hands up to you in praise as we close our service today. In Jesus' name, amen. Morning